Borak Thong Earthlets, my name is Conrad alongside my friend Fox, and this is the 23rd episode of Space Spinner 2000, a podcast where two Americans try to make sense of the UK's own Galaxy's Greatest Comic 2000 AD, one month of progs at a time. Or usually is. This week, we're <laughs> taking a break from our usual weekly progs to cover Dan Dare, the Dan Dare Annual 1979. You might remember from the last 2080 annual we did that these are always dated for the year after they came out. So this one came out in September of 1978, but the year listed is 79. Um, it's the first of two 1978 annuals we'll be covering, with the 2000 AD annual for ni- uh, 1979 also coming out in September, though we'll cover it after we do the September progs, which will be basically next episode. Um, <laughs> as always, the annuals are home to familiar thrills told by unfamiliar creative teams, stories from the IPC and Fleetway Vault and uh, text articles about space and futuristic stuff. I know you, and, and, and I know you love um, the annuals, right, Fox? They're your favorite part of this, uh, of this quest we put ourselves on? Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's so great learning Maybe. about 1970s space. Um, oh, I think some of the, some of the, uh, the view of the... <laughs> Like it's funny because it's it's this weird thing where it's uh, forty years ago's view of twenty years ago. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, that's 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 kind of, so that is the part that I enjoy is this like um, it's this beautiful optimism because uh, I think that you said this to me best, which is like <clears throat> people who were say eighty um, in the seventies like grew up in a time where there weren't planes right and they so had yeah planes were invented in 1902 you know if you're 80 in 1978 then you were born before the plane was invented <laughs> yeah i mean hell before the car right so technology was moving at this pace where it's like that's the thing that excites me the most you know it's the it's the tomorrow today space stations and stuff like that like i really love um space station art of this era mm-hmm. but, uh, the the biggest problem for me with these is not so much like their their interest and their optimism actually i think that's it's not even quaint it's respectable you know it's mm-hmm. like clearly someone gave a shit enough to go through either the encyclopedia britannica or really actually is interested in this and uh it's just there's so many words conrad like i i love i i have rediscovered my love of reading books but i also don't read books and then flip a page and look at a picture that then encapsulates like the last couple paragraphs that i read you know um i think that's very at odds and there's a lot of that in this yeah i hear you i don't know but you know my peas and my peas in my corner being too separated or something but (laughs) i'm reading a comic book guys like I don't think kids back then were all that excited. I like the quiz. I mean, we'll get into it, but yeah, the that's... quiz was cool. The rest of it, bleh. <laughs> hey, but speaking of things being separated too fo- too much, probably by some sort of force field. Uh, <laughs> thrill one, Dan Dare. So. I guess first off, I should say the annual starts off with just some general sort of space fig pictures. I guess the space shuttle was just starting to be like was just making its test flights and becoming and coming online at this point. So there's a lot of like space shuttle coverage in this annual, which is, which is cool. 
Like, yeah. uh, that's definitely uh, relevant and hype. But uh, screw all that spaceship garbage. Well, Dan well, Dare's spaceport. Yeah, I want to say also that, yeah, that they do a reprint of Dan Dare's face, spaceport. We've seen this in the progs before, though. I think this is the first time we've seen it in color. As always, lots of space for guns, not a lot of space for people to sleep or go to the bathroom. No. And, uh, of course, the strategic weapons system, Planet Bomb. Uh, I forgot that the wings of this thing were detachable, so you could just drop a payload onto a plane. Nice. <laughs> it was cool. I, I reread all of this stuff, and I was just like, man, I, I want the Dandare Battle Space Fortress playset. You gotta make it out of Legos, apparently. But, um, so... <laughs> nice callback. Do my best, you know, with what this whole thing is. Um, So, (laughs) so we start our first Dan Dare story with a star for it, investigating the star system of Boron, which is way at the edge of the galaxy. Mm -hmm. Um, And this story, by the way, takes place before where we are currently in the timeline, like that pilot, that that guy pilot Polanski is still alive, stuff like that. Yeah. Also, all in color, the first portion of yeah. the comics, which really look good. I want to yeah. like kind of shout that out because I didn't see a credit card. No, there aren't any credits in this thing, which is kind of a bummer. Um, but yeah, like the last annual, I think all of the like the first story is in color, and then later on, there's some fill-in ones where like there's stories where there's just one color on, like that's colored in and stuff. Yeah. Oh, you know, there's actually a second... Never mind. There's a second full-color one in here. But anyhow, um, so Star Force investigating Boron. Uh, as they arrive, the ship starts to shake. All systems overloading. They're caught in a crazy tractor beam. To investigate, uh, Dan, Dan and Bear put on spacesuits and uh, fly <laughs> out to investigate. Along the way... As they fly out there, they see a couple other space dudes in uh, battered old space jet skis. <laughs> and Yeah, and the best thing, like, I I love Bear just as a character because he's, like, ultra-Russian and also, like, so they call him out as being a one-man, like, army. And he's like, yeah, I don't mm-hmm. need anybody else, man. You're great. Um, but he's like, oh, man, or I guess they, they tow them basically they shoot yeah these yeah the, hooks. yeah the guys with the jet skis shoot them with grappling hooks then start towing them to their space base and that's where my favorite part is bears like this isn't this is undignified being just like pulled along with this weird <laughs> magnet yeah I'm like oh that's adorable so the guys with the space jet skis drag bear and dandare to their asteroid hideout and pull them inside and they find that at the uh Guys inside the asteroid are friendly. They're sort of army dudes. They all have awesome mustaches. Um, yeah, a race of, of beautiful mustache people. Yeah. And they explain how they had a space base, but then a bunch of extra, extra galactic uh, aliens, like guys from beyond the galaxy, uh, arrived at their star base. And they were like, hey, uh, extra galactic guys, what's going on? And oh, they attacked like jerks. <laughs> Basically, yeah, they, and by the way, definitely look like lizard men. Yeah, so they showed up, they stole the space base, and now uh, Audar, who's the leader of these mustache guys, uh, have been are stranded outside the alien sweet force field in this hollowed out asteroid base. 
mentioning that like oh man this force field's impenetrable it melts everything this sucks and it's the advanced and the, and these guys are the advanced uh, scouts of the rest of the alien empire their massive star carrier is going to become 50 times bigger than the star fort will be arriving soon which is pretty nuts that thing's massive yeah so Dan and Bear have to strike into action while these guys' technology is pretty uh, unadvanced in comparison to, to, to Dan and Bear's. Uh, they, Dan and Bear feel like they, they can be able to move through the, flat, the, uh, through the force field and solve things the old-fashioned way by killing every alien they meet. <laughs> so Hey, Conrad, what happens? Well, they go up to the force field. They sort of gut their way through it, like, Zad, oh, this force field, ah, I don't like it. But we're basically okay. Let's fly over this uh, starbase and kill everybody. <laughs> Just... They definitely do that with a cruel efficiency. Yeah, Bear's eyes always open, and he spots some aliens already. Now he kill them. <laughs> <laughs> he's, he's the perfect Russian. Yeah, so uh, so da- so Darren Bear uh, slaughter all the aliens. Darren Bear. Yeah, Darren Bear. Dare Bear. Yes. Um, oh. So uh, so the Dare Bear uh, kills all the aliens. Uh, turns off the force field and the tractor beams and stuff. And oh man, here comes this big star fortress thing. So. Luckily, they have something that looks like a fighter jet to yeah. jump into. Luckily, all the mustache guys apparently have a fleet of fighter jets hanging around inside this space station. So, <laughs> Dan, so uh, Dan, and then all the mustache guys pile into their spaceships. They start flying around. There's some really awesome dog fighting action. Oh yeah, they do a Star Wars. Yeah, and like a Star Wars episode one, uh, Dan Dare flies into the middle of the uh, alien ship, like through the hangar or whatever, mm-hmm. and drops some bombs to blow the place up from the inside out. And then they all get out, and everything's great, and then they have yeah. a drinking party. They fly away, they don't look at the explosion of the ship behind them, they uh, <laughs> settle back into their space station, everybody drinks like sort of uh, red, uh, it's kind of a reddish pink juice, and it's good times. Yeah, man. I mean, Bear wouldn't drink it if it didn't have alcohol, I'm sure. Fair enough. Yeah. yeah. So, anyhow, victory Dan Dare, death to aliens. Fair enough. Yeah, and I mean, it seems pretty consistent when aliens come to rock your world, Dan comes to rock your face. Fair enough. Uh, <laughs> so, let's go to... <laughs> Thrill to Flying Cities and Super Quiz. Oh, man. So, first up, in the future, we'll all live in big circular space stations, like sort of around a big circular tube, like in in Interstellar, or in one of my favorite games, Uh, Startopia. Yes. Oh, yeah. Anyhow, though, besides that, there is a... uh, Dan Dare future quiz. It's multiple choice. The answers are on the page, but uh, all spacers who cheat will eat vacuum immediately. Yeah, eat it. Yeah. Hey, uh, Fox. What's up? Earth's first artificial satellite is pictured above. Was it Explorer 1, Sputnik 1, or Pioneer 1? Ooh, it's a tough one. Russians are really bad at space, and that sounds like a Russian name. But, you know, Pioneer ones are so corny. You know what? I'm going to go with Spudnik. Yeah, man, of course it was Sputnik. 
It's like really obviously Sputnik. Jesus, like, okay. So Any- here's the question I have for you. This Yo. long-haired type was Dan's side. By the way, not sidekick, but sidekick in the Odyssey affair was sidekick he a- slash antagonist. Yeah, was he a Man Friday, B Joe Tuesday, or C Mr. Monday? Well, I'll tell you, I have a commemorative copy of the statue of the 20 foot tall statue with awesome hair <laughs> that is of his gravestone of Mr. Monday. Oh, uh, yeah, man. We've been reading some Dandor. Oh, man. I think Mr. Monday died in like episode four or five or something oh, like yeah, that. That's true. Where and he was at? my favorite character out of Original Dare because he was glorious. Yeah. Hey, that's how it goes. Hey, speaking of old favorites, Fox. <laughs> Thrill three invasion. Oh, it's so invasion. nice to see old Bill again. Yeah. Invasion. Yeah. Unfortunately, there's some explosions. Yeah. There's some guns. Yeah. So, uh, those no good, dirty Vogs have built a uh, a research station, like an offshore research base, where they're trying to perfect fusion energy. Yeah, not a great idea in general. Yeah. A uh, a ship a uh, a ship rolls by and sort of finds out about this, but then gets destroyed by the Volgans. There's one survivor, and he starts the ten mile swim back to the mainland to tell the resistance. Which what the hell? Ten miles? Yeah, he's on a boat way out there. He's like fishing and stuff, buddy. Oh yeah, I mean, I just figured he'd just die. Well, you I mean, know? he probably would have, but then he's picked up by a ship. A ship carrying Dan Dare, Peter Silk, and his band of resistance dudes. (laughs) Not Dan Dare. Oh my gosh. Uh, Bill Savage, Peter Silk, and the rest of their resistance dudes. Nailed it. I'm going to, there's a very real possibility I'm going to call everybody who's the protagonist in this thing Dan Dare. I can't help it. No, it's fair. There's a lot of Dan Dare. But so Bill Sav- so Savage and his buddies uh, kill a nearby Volga uh, Volgon patrol boat that was coming by. They get the lowdown from this uh, swimming dude about the Volgons getting uh, fusion, and Savage is like, uh, "If those Vogues pull it off, there'll be no stopping them. We gotta hit that rig." It's I read it in your voice now. You realize? Do my best, you know. Um, so. Savage and Silk attack the uh, attack a like an airbase that is apparently bringing supplies to and from the rig. Yeah, you it's know. also where they house the like attack ship that blew up the first uh, civilian yeah. boat. Yeah, I think that's also like uh, carries the, their supplies and mm-hmm. stuff. But yeah, whatever, yeah. they fight their way through. They kill hella dudes, uh, and eventually <laughs> uh, the the. Uh, the airship that uh, that blew up the initial boat and carries the supplies to the offshore rig start to take off. Dan Dare gets in a forklift and drives up after it. An, <laughs> an exciting, exciting forklift run manages to get aboard the plane just as it takes off. There, his shotgun's no match for the uh, pilot guys, and he manages to basically make them fly the plane over the hydrogen fuel rig he drops the cargo inside the back of the plane straight through the huge dome in the center of the fusion experiment uh rig this causes a massive explosion it's great it's a really big explosion yeah and uh fusion research for the volgans has been put back like 10 years as the uh all their top scientists were there and now they're dead and all the research and stuff is gone too <laughs> 
no computers back then in 1999. Yeah, man. Well, I mean, you know, he says, like, uh, Vogues have lost their top scientists in years of research. Take ten years to start again, and by then we'll have kicked every Vogue out of Britain. Yeah, I like his optimism. It'll only take a decade. I mean, that's fair. <laughs> I, be- I will say... The the one little nuance that I love about the the comic is when Silk is uh, is he's got a sniper rifle on top of um, the hood of a car, and and basically through Savage's suggestion, he's like, just use your sniper rifle, you goof, and like shoot the leader. And uh, there's a tear actually like in um, the line of the comic, and then <laughs> right next to it is him, like the guy getting shot. And it just, it's its a, a cool little nuance. I like yeah. it. Yeah. So, I don't know about this um, invasion story, Fox. It does have a lot of gunfighting. It does have a lot of, um, uh, you know, it, it's got a nuclear explosion, which I appreciate, like a mushroom cloud mm-hmm. and stuff. Um, the problem is that, like, it doesn't have some of the uh, invasion beats that we've come to appreciate. Like, um, I agree. S- Savage sort of gleefully shotgunning people. You know, he always he seems very stoic as he kind of does mm-hmm. this stuff. It's soulless. And, yeah, and I'm soulless. and like I kind of think like that I would not be surprised if this was kind of just some random war comic that they've rebranded <laughs> as Invasion and like. They sort of, you know, it's a random sort of future, like semi-future war comic, um, and they've sort of made the main guy just have Dan, just have, damn it, just have uh, Savage's <laughs> face, and then drew, drew drew one other random dude to kind of have a mustache and sunglasses like Silk. You know what I mean? He does look a little doofy. Like Silk, I mean. Yeah, yeah. Like Silk kind of looks like a random guy, and Savage is kind of off model. And it's weird that the two of them wouldn't go up there because that's usually how they did things when we um, saw Invasion. Like just Dan, just 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 Savage going up in the plane like that is, um, I don't know. It's not quite on brand for Invasion, if you take my meaning. No. Yeah. Exactly. I. It just. It wasn't glee. Like you said, it wasn't gleeful. It wasn't fun. It's like, oh, what made Invasion popular was all the the shooting and the explosions and the the base capture and i'm like man no what made what made uh, invasion awesome was a giant truck full of danger acid slamming into a thing while bill savage said a, a funny quip because yeah. it's campy as all hell mm-hmm. yeah it doesn't have that same sort of um tone that the invasion stories had you know what i mean yeah, and I, I think um, I think you had mentioned this when uh, we were talking at work a little bit, but um, it definitely feels like, you know, they, they put a period at the end of the sentence, and Invasion ended, you know, really well and strongly, I would say, and I think they're pretty done. And it's either that, like, oh, we need something and this was popular, which I believe, I, I actually agree with your assessment, or they put someone to task on this that it, they were just like, eh. I think it's a combination of I think it's a combination of those two just because um I think it I from what I understand like these one or from what it seems like to me I should say a lot of times these annuals and specials and stuff are sort of people who are sort of people's tryout um work you know what I mean mm. like they're like hey make a tell a Dan Dare story or tell an invasion story or something like that and so you know for potential hires and stuff so people might end up doing things they might end up not doing it I don't know yeah, I mean it. Uh, it's just a bummer because I, I, I love Invasion so much, um, 
and I've you know when it came back like the whole reason why we're doing this annual is because they reprint because they, they they have an invasion story in it and I was like oh yeah. geez I better not overlook that Dan Dare annual because it's got invasion in it uh. yeah I mean if only we could uh, <laughs> if only we could travel back in time and enjoy invasion all over again well you know the sequel's coming up in a couple months <laughs> or sorry the prequel's coming up in a couple months dope <laughs> anyhow hey speaking <laughs> of prequels and things coming back from the past oh that was a good one fox actually i appreciate that uh thrill three rick random is there any way we could just fucking get through this as fast as possible can we can we do both of the sections together <laughs> okay i mean you're messing uh, up I with mean, the with no, a, no, no, we with don't a have huge, to mess it up. With we a huge reveal that doesn't actually matter in the actual story. <laughs> now, let's do the whole thing. It's fine. Um, so, just a reminder from the summer sci-fi special we did um, a little earlier. These Rick Random stories are like sto- are from like um, the late '60s, or no, sorry, from like yeah, from the late '50s, early '60s. Um, and they're, I believe, th- these ones are still written by. Uh, Harry Harrison. It's, it looks like it's the same team as the last one. Yeah. Um, and like those ones too, these are sort of reprinted from a digest-sized comic. So basically the page is split into quarters and each quarter of the page is a separate page. So you kind of go like what, like one page in the corner, then back, then like to the... You read from the like top left quadrant, then to the top right quadrant, to the bottom mm-hmm. left quadrant, then the bottom right quadrant which really just serves to say the text is ridiculously small and so are the images so the text just looks like it's eating up the entire comic and it's tough because this because these comics are wordy and so making them tiny really just makes them look like huge uh word explosions you know (laughs) i mean the the one good shot that i that i'll say that i liked the most was the and we'll get to what this means but the the giant like collection of all the scientists who show up at the big stage like that's a good shot i I thought that was cool too but so let's get started all right Mm -hmm. um so this dude uh martin hart is working for a uh, mad scientist building a uh, time machine. Yeah. He's like cleaning some stuff, and then suddenly the time machine ticks over, and he gets time machined, and he disappears. Basically, that's why you don't let a lab tech clean the fucking time machine. Man, I don't want to do anything for mad scientist stuff. It's just a matter of time before he experiments on you. Like that's I all I learned from movies. Maybe, man, maybe. Uh, <laughs> but so. The scientist guy is like, oh my gosh, he's missing, whatever. Uh, word travels around the food chain and stuff. There's a series of people making phone calls on these awesome future phones. Yeah, which <laughs> globe where the receiver would be, so that's really close to your face, but you can yeah. see another person's face in it? Yeah, it's like a regular, it's like, it's like an, well, I guess not a regular, it's like an old school, like, you know regular wired phone kind of thing but yeah it's like instead of the part that you talk into it's like double the size and like coming out of the front of it is a globe which has the face of the person you're talking to so it's like a video phone but a video phone merged with a regular phone and i think it's actually kind of clever just in a uh like hey like what are we using now what's in the future like how do we meld those together you know 
I think it's yeah. at least as realistic as um, just someone talking to a screen on their desk or something like that, you know? Which they also do in, in the same comic, which was what was confusing to me. I'm like, man, it would be so much easier than holding something to your face. But I agree. It's like this cool yeah. melding. But so Dan Tear investig... Oh, shit. So Rick Random investigates... <laughs> I cursed you. I'm sorry. <laughs> he um he meets the uh the scientist guy and the scientist guy <laughs> is wearing one of those uh doctor <laughs> reflector lights. I forgot about that. Like in like a, a picture of a 1950s doctor, you know, he's got the the, the circle thing on top of his head. He's got one of those. Um, yeah, he looks like a total quack. He's got you know he's got a hot daughter. I think there's like a uh, another hot scientist lady. Just there's always the well, big thing about these Dan- about these Rick Ran- these Rick Random comics <laughs> is that basically every maybe three or four pages are introducing like a different hot lady. Just assume yeah. that's happening, and I'll call some of them out. <laughs> oh, there's twins in this one. Yeah, I, hold on, you're ruining it, Fox. Oh, sorry, sorry. But so. <laughs> but so so basically they investigate uh this martin hart guy's definitely time traveled his uh <laughs> his fiance the daughter of the scientist is really distraught and oh they call the time machine the uh tt like he's been yeah. transported by the tt uh, uh, so like there's only one thing to be done about it fox and that's to uh, go to the Stadium of Science, invite all the most intelligent physicists of the entire world, and have them all have a big conference, uh, stadium <laughs> style, to talk about this lost dude. Viva la France. Man, it's a Stadium of Science. There's a bunch of, like, it's just like this big, like, uh, I want to say like a hexagon? No, a, uh, like a 12-gon a with stadium, se- <laughs> stadium seating full of smart dudes and then a bunch of, like, uh, globes like they have in the phones, but, like, way bigger. Like the size of, like, I don't know, like a, a ball you'd sit on to help your back at a, uh, at a fancy office. Uh, oh, weird question, Conrad. Would yeah. you call... Uh, uh, one of these with 13 sides a baker's does a gone and that was how the podcast ended but um <laughs> no man after after 10 you just um you just say the number and then put gone at the end that's what i learned in school oh so you have a decagon and then you, you just have like an 11 a gone <laughs> great i you know that's what they taught me i don't know but so there's a bunch of scientists they're shouting about time travel all your basic time travel beliefs are there like oh you can only go forward oh you can't have you can't do anything because time has already happened and blah 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 this won't be a big deal um (laughs) really a uh a beautiful lady shows up um (laughs) named uh beautiful lady shows up named erica and she's a master of uh time stuff to help her out is her um sister who's also a uh big physicist they're identical twins but you can tell them apart because one wears stripes and one wears polka dots always (laughs) and and you know that was an important fact for us to know about these characters who definitely (laughs) last for the entire comic You'd think maybe that they'd do some twin magic by wearing different um, different things at a uh, at different points, but nah. Now these are just throwaway beautiful ladies that have just sort of you know just some blonde ladies that just showed up because we gotta in- keep introducing new blonde ladies in the course of this comic, um, and just generally introducing new facts. So uh, yeah. 
They sort of do some unauthorized time travel with Rick Random. They send him way into the future to see the ruins of the science stadium. And a neo-primitive guy jam- uh, shoots an arrow at him. And he comes back. And he's like, hey, I time traveled. And everyone's like, oh, geez, this is working. So, okay. <laughs> Bad news, guys. We can go back in time. Well, forward and back. So, after that, they just do some time spelunking. Sending Rick Random to various <laughs> times. Like, you know, they send him to the Battle of Hastings in 1066. They send him to, like, um... They send him, like, caveman times. They send him to a potato field in the 18th century. They send I, him I to... Just... Rome as it burns with Nero, all this stuff. And he's like thinking, like, oh, I want to come back to this time, see if he was actually playing the fiddle. Yeah. But the big thing here is like, what I don't understand is they're sending him back in time. That lab tech has not come back. Well, yeah, but see, they've made like the uh, the big uh, introduction from the twins was a way to return back in time. That's like the big thing that's been added, basically. The problem is that this time machine is hella inexact. They don't know how to find where Hart went. They don't know how to get to a specific time where he is. So, and I, so they, they, there's there's only one thing to do now, and I actually really appreciate this. And it's basically to say, like, hey, man, like in a thousand years, I bet they got this all figured out. So <laughs> the, the plan is to go a thousand years in the future and borrow a time machine from then. Uh, I really like this next, the, very lightly, this next section. So city. Rick Random teleports uh, a thousand years in the future, the year 3000 and some. Everything's all future, all even more futuristic and stuff. We told you this was dense. He's immediately picked up by a dude in a floating circle. And he's like, hey, Rick Random, what's up? Uh, let's go. He's like, hey, wait, how do you know your name? It's like, dude, you like told us that you were going to come here a thousand years ago. We've been waiting for you. <laughs> like, <laughs> we have records. The time police, dog. <laughs> yeah. So. That's amazing. Dan Dare gets in this bubble with this space dude. Or with his future dude. Future dude just kind of, you know, just kind of talks randomly about future stuff. Like, you got to talk to the Council of Seven, because time travel is under strict governmental control. So you got to talk to them if you want to borrow one of our futuristic time machines. And then, he's hey. He's top time cop. Oh, yeah. Yeah, he's the Jean-Claude Van Damme of his world. Um, <laughs> but so then he starts t- um, letting Rick Random in on some sp- on some future spoilers. Which really, come on, guys. And basically, uh, you know, people conquer or colonize all the planets of the solar system, and then they start fighting amongst each other, sort of planet on planet action. I guess as you do. Yeah. So you know, um, Earth's fighting the Martians, and then they make a peace treaty with the Venusians, and the and they they're gonna have a big parade with the Venusian war machine, but then the Venusians turn on them, and it's all this stuff. So anyhow, humanity has to. <laughs> decides to fix this by doing a big weapons test and that's the cliffhanger is what's this weapon test how's this weapon test going to turn out mm-hmm. so let's jump to the second half to uh... uh hold on to oh, page wait. 82 i think yeah no i, I got that i oh of course i i wrote it in my notes here as dan dare part two because i can't remember anybody's name <laughs> in the course of this Gosh darn comic. But we jump quickly to a Thrill 15 Dan Dip. Thrill 15 Rick Random Part 2. Please keep that in. Okay. 
I'm real, <laughs> real embarrassed by this turn of events, I gotta say. Um, it's called the Dandare Annual, for God's sake, and there's very little. <clears throat> I mean, there's like two, but so the uh, weapons test, they basically, uh, this weapon, it blows up Pluto. Um, and humanity's like, and so Earth is like, yeah, we got this weapon, it can blow up planets. Here's the deal. Uh, everybody declare peace with us. Let's have a, p- a big peace treaty, and we'll give you, everybody, the secret of uh, planet destruction. So they do, and now there's a big mutually assured destruction thing where if anybody messes with anybody else, it'll trigger the planet destroyers and destroy everybody on the solar system. It's so stupid. Hey, uh, hey, Fox. What's up? How much does all of this stuff about planet destruction, which was the cliffhanger between part one and part two, have to do <laughs> with the actual story about time travel and this story's actual revo- uh, resolution? Let's see. Um... Zero percent of it is pertinent to the fucking story. This has nothing to do with anything. It doesn't matter. Anyhow. So yeah, it's so, uh. so Rick Random goes before like the Council of Seven is basically like, hey, I need a time machine because there's a dude trap in the past. We can't go get him and he could be back there stepping on butterflies and being like Ashton Kutcher in the butterfly effect generally. We got to oh. do something. There could be a sound of thunder at any moment. Various time travel things. Um, oh, the council is skeptical until sort of as they deliberate, suddenly basically everything on Earth starts fucking up. Um, like the council Oh shit, of, maybe we better listen to this guy. Like the, the Council of Science building that has all the time machines in it uh, collapses. A bunch of like planes blow up. Cypress is completely destroyed, which is a really big deal. I, you know, I mean, no yeah. offense, no offense to Cypriots. I, I have a friend who's from Cyprus. Um, but like it's funny that they're just like, and Cyprus was destroyed, which seems like an interesting choice for something to be destroyed, I guess. But anyhow, a naked woman's house disappeared while she was having a bath, so some dude saw her nudie body. Finally, but you know, it basically means that it's time for us to introduce another beautiful lady, as the Council oh, of gosh. Seven is like, okay, here's the deal, Rick Random. <laughs> We believe you, and we want to help you by getting this guy out of the past. Unfortunately, <laughs> part of the time quakes that are happening because the past is being messed up have destroyed all of our time machines. So here's the deal. Um, this um, here is this lady Arata, or sorry, Lorata. She's the best time scientist we've got. The two of you go back in time to your time and figure it out from there. And Why didn't they just go future in time before all of this happened? They don't have any time issues. Oh. They can't go from the future well, from before here. Before they... this point, why wouldn't they have sent Time Cop to be like, how does this resolve? And he'd be like, oh, dude, we just, like, when he comes here, just listen to him and let's get this done. Um, yeah, I don't know. But so anyhow. <laughs> oh, God. So they go, So one thing and another, Rick Random and Lorada go back in time to um the dan dare's present where she sort of upgrades their time travel junk uh more time quake stuff is happening in their time too they finally find heart he's gone to the year 1099 in hastings in england god he should know better than all the things he decides to do yeah so the two of them uh random and lorada go back in time to figure out where he is quickly donning uh old-timey garb and so forth (laughs) They quickly find um, Martin Hart. He is uh, engaged to this lady. 
as soon as they meet him, uh, Hart is immediately uh, shot through the heart by a bow and arrow wielded by that lady's uh, former fiance, who he's usurped. Mm-hmm. And he's dead. And then Random and Lorada are like, oh, that's a bummer. They go to the inn and have some uh, wine and, or some bread, wine, and suckling pig. <laughs> Try to figure out their back, their next move. He was just a lab tech, right? Who the fuck cares? I mean, you know, there's no way to bring him back unless uh, uh, Random realized, hey, like, we got a time machine, man. Let's go back to where he, when he first showed up and, like, stop all no this one, from happening. No one thought of this. So they go back and do that. <laughs> they travel back to right after he appears. And they're like, hey, man, like, you just showed up. Let's take you back. <laughs> and he's like, oh, okay. So it turns out that I guess all the bad stuff was that was happening was things that were as a result of the lady that Hart was engaged to and her former boyfriend not being married and having kids and ancestors and blah, blah, blah. Up to and including one of their ancestors, I guess, being a heroic fighter pilot that stopped... Um, and a Venusian bomber from blowing up Cyprus. Anyhow. So take a breath. You got through it. Good lord. So they, so they, uh, the lady marries the right guy and everybody goes back into the future. Lorada is apparently still trapped in Rick Random's presence, which is like a thousand years before her present, but whatever. All is well that ends well. Let's uh, sort of talk and, you know, do like a laugh. And hey, the uh, Stripe and Dot lady showed back up. Hooray! (laughs) Hey, so many women! So many women! And that's Rick Random! Good lord. Uh, Something in time. So the only thing I have to say about this that is positive, I mean, I guess I don't have a ton to say that's negative other than, like, God, so much. Uh, It is a fucking Star Trek story if you cut out a lot of the fat. Mm. I mean, the thing that I like about this story is that it actually uses time travel as a a power, I guess. Mm -hmm. There's so many time travel stories where time travel just kind of... um, is used as a way to move to a, a different scene, you know? Right, hand-waving, yeah. Like, well, we're, we're, what, I mean, mostly it's just like, um, like, you know, the, you know, the DeLorean just takes you to a place that lets you, um, that means suddenly we're 20 years ago, as mm. opposed, it's not really used, like, sort of like, well, we can go back and do this, you know? Like, my, you know, I think a lot, I think, I know mine, and I think a lot of people's favorite parts in, like, those Bill and Ted movies is when they're <laughs> like, but what if we go back and, like, just put the key here where we need it. Like, if we hide it, and then we, you know, we'll get it later and then set it up. And then and it's then, suddenly there. Yeah, and then set that up and blah, blah, blah. It's that sort of, like, well, okay, like, our time machines are, are crappy. Well, let's go to the time when there are good time machines. Like, oh, geez, like, this guy really messed up the timeline. Okay, let's use our time machine to go back to uh, stop him from doing that, you know? No, it, it's really well thought out, and it's got that um, sort of 1950s... Uh, science movie charm right like it starts off with a bunch of people making calls some science shit a lot more science shit some like interesting kind of spectacle future look sort of stuff like it still feels it feels like an old science fiction movie which i i actually enjoy um you know for all the the yucks and weird stuff that we were kind of poking fun at uh if it were just a little bit more accessible yeah, I the problem go a long way. The problem is that yeah, again, just like we said at the start, the pacing's super dense, um, and makes it hard to read just because there's so many words and the words are very small and all this stuff. 
I had to then, take three breaks reading this. Yeah, thing. like it it almost hurts your head, kind of just reading it, and you gotta like zoom in. You gotta like get your head real close to it. It's hard to read, but also just there's so much stuff that's just there to pad out the time thing. Yeah, like you could, like. It, even in my like super fast recap, I cut out a lot of the scientists talking about science stuff, a lot of back and forth telephone calls and stuff, and then like the testing the time machine is all doesn't have to be there. The uh, like spending spending two pages talking about these ladies who are twins and have <laughs> wear stripes stripes and dots. Besides being weird, has no has no point and is just completely extraneous. Uh, Conrad they're hot drawn women and you need to make sure that uh you completely disassociate rick random from being anything other than straight they've got so much characterization and doesn't go anywhere same thing (laughs) with the with the planet being destroyed that's like seven pages that doesn't have to do with anything it doesn't matter no it's just sort of some weird world building that doesn't come back up you know no there's like there's a bunch of stuff that this story sets up that don't that doesn't come back around you know yeah it's like it's more of a like oh wouldn't it like oh if i traveled a thousand years in the future it would be like this much like fucking all the articles in this are just speculative yeah but it's just all these like there could be plot holes there could be like something happens and suddenly the world destroying beams are activated and they've got to do something to stop them yeah there could be some situation where the two twins have to outsmart somebody or do something so they switch dresses or something like that that would but, be hard there's ways to do it <laughs> you're setting it up for it to happen <laughs> and you're using a lot of words to describe it like, like there's just like i'm just saying that like basically you know this story has like seven guns in the um <laughs> in the first act and like maybe one of them is fired in the third act God, if any i mean a man was just shot with a bow and arrow that's what it all came down to but no but i mean like chekhov's gun you know what i'm talking about right oh yeah okay good enough of that star trek i like uh anyhow thrill four space text and stuff <laughs> <laughs> Tomorrow, today! Exactly, hey. National Air Traffic Control. This was outlandish and bullshit. Then uh, there's one about um, space tourism, using the space shuttle and stuff. Yeah, it's the one, it's the multinational air traffic control where they're like, so of course, like if we were flying around all over space and there were tons of spacecraft up there, you're going to need some kind of air traffic control, whatever, but they're like, it's going to be this massive grid of 130 foot square, or square feet aerials. Um, which is just like floating platforms basically and i'm like how many of them because this is a lot it's like it's a series of 20 satellites plus a worldwide grid like how would you do this i mean honestly i don't i don't know what the global setup for um air traffic control is that doesn't seem that bad to me honestly there's like a billion satellites up there nowadays that's true then they all get destroyed didn't you see gravity Jeez. anyhow (laughs) god Anyhow, I'm just I'm I'm skimming over these Fox. I didn't like read this stuff. Uh, I, uh, <laughs> I, I read every single one because I felt bad. I'm like, man, if Conrad reads these and I didn't read them, I'm just gonna be that guy who says again, like, I fucking hate this, and I hated it. I hated I, every single word that I read. I skimmed them. Uh, so the next one is uh, what you call it? Uh, space shuttle tourism. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, by the turn of the century, every granny will be able to take a turn, a trip to the moon. Uh, yeah, this one I liked a, a little bit, but it's like start saving your pennies, Gran. Yeah. And I'm like, mm. and, and then uh, Earth calling space. Is anybody there? Just some stuff on the SETI program. They try to call chide back into Dan Dare by saying, "Oh, what if there's biogs out there?" But nah. Um, and then the last one is uh, Power from Space, which is, uh, hey, like, you know, let's put a bunch of freaking solar panels up in space and then get power from them. What the heck? This actually comes back in the in the rest of the comic book. It comes back in Dan Dare. Fair enough. Mm-hmm. Which brings us, in fact, to 305 Dan Dare. <sighs> so this is uh, Dan Dare in The Invisible Death, which... This is a prose story about Dan Dare with, like, some pictures. So it's sort of like a picture book, basically. This version I of Dan Dare. Um, You know, there's an invisible guy. Dan Dare punches him to justice, basically. He yep. punches him visible and then brings him to justice. Yep. <laughs> Skippable. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, okay, there's, there's, like, some characterization. This is what pissed me off the most, and I just want you to mentally prepare yourself. So... The Dan Dare is a is right now a trio of men, right? There's Dan Dare, yeah. There's Bear, right? And there's Gunner, right? Or no, not Gunner. That's Gunner Hitman. Uh, Hitman. Um, and Polanski, the pilot. What is an important fact about uh, Hitman? Oh, his gun is welded to his hand. Definitely. Do you know what they say in the story? What? He puts it away in his holster. I could put his hand on his holster too. Yeah, well, that's the thing. They didn't make mention of just like, like, why would he put his gun in a holster? It's welded to his hand. Maybe it's to freak people. Maybe it's to make people feel more at ease or something. I don't want to make. Ex- I can't make excuses for this comic. It, it's just it. It didn't or for this, even for this prose story masquerading as a comic, like a a common book. Um. They did find and replace. I almost guarantee it. <laughs> I, I believe it. But speaking of things I don't believe, Thrill 6 UFO Agent. What? You don't believe in the uh, invasion of uh, the planet by unidentified flying objects, a.k.a. flying saucers? Which are in league with our government? Not really. (laughs) Oh, that's fair enough. The Aurora Project proved far and away that, you know, there is a new world order. Anyhow, <laughs> this seems like the first episode of like a continuing serial, basically, because mm. it's an origin story. Um, yeah. Two government dudes, one's like a Secret Service agent, one's like a professor kind of guy. They get a phone call to drive out to a field. They're met by a UFO. The UFO alien guys are like, hey... We Here's are some uh, pregnancy tests. <laughs> yeah, like we know your names. You guys are gonna work for us now. You're gonna be secret agents of the UFO. <laughs> Weird, but uh, pretty cool. Here's some super jumping powers. Here's some blasters. They look like home pregnancy tests. <laughs> and here's your own UFO to fly around in. And they're like, "Whoa, neat! All right, let's go set up a volcano base." Yeah, okay, cool. It's kind of like. I feel like if you, let's say, you and I were were given, like, space powers and a flying saucer. More space powers, right. Yeah. (laughs) 
I mean, of course I'm gonna like. Where's a where's a cool base of operations for us to set up on? Because we are now superheroes. Yeah, totally. Yeah, basically these guys become superheroes that are powered by by alien technology, essentially. That's um, awesome. But in a less flashy way than like a Greatest American Hero or something like that. Um, deep cut. But oh. <laughs> so once they've set up uh, their volcano base, oh no, like a hundred miles away, the president gets kidnapped. But what what is he the president of again? Because he's wearing a really dope fez. I don't know. Um, they say that he's like President Uranu or something like that. He doesn't have an yeah. American name. But whatever. Uh, the pre- some president's been kidnapped. <laughs> a president's been kidnapped, not the president's been kidnapped. And the UFO agents are bad enough dudes to save him. They uh, use their <laughs> UFO powers to do my best to uh, infiltrate the enemy base. They uh, super jump and uh, tampon blaster their way through. They save the president, <laughs> blow up the bad guy's base, and then they just kind of ditch the president on the beach to be picked up by other people as they fly away in the UFO. The end. It's a really horrible thing to do to a man. And he's like waving like, Hey, see you later. I'd be like, where are you going? I. What about food? What if there's like a tiger? I the don't know. I, the thing I like about this story is that um, it's this crate. Like this could be a movie, basically. Yeah. But it is four pages long. Everything is in ultra fast forward, and I I appreciate the uh, the uh, condensed storytelling. It feels like a more expanded um, Future Shocks. Yeah, I mean, it doesn't have a twist, but. That's definitely has like just like here's like a random story or something, you know. And it's not bad. Nah, nah, it's yeah. just light, you know. It just sort of is like does a thing, does it very quickly. Yeah, fair enough. But speaking of things that are light, uh, thrill seven gravity facts. Nah. This is kind of a text article about um, gravity existing and being a problem if you're doing space stuff. I like the picture of the astronaut, like, how am I going to eat this food that's on a plate and drink this milk? Yeah, it's just flying off into the zero gravity, and he sort of is holding a fork, like, oh, well, this random debris flying around this ship's probably going to kill me. All right. (laughs) But that takes us to Thrill 8, Judge Dredd. I'm going to come out of the gate saying this. Judge Dredd gets really sassy uh, about men of size, and doesn't really let up and just really just is not nice i mean whatever there's a reason i guess and it's kind of justified but no this is this is this is a supremely off-brand judge dread i gotta Mm -hmm. say because it starts with there being like a mayor of mega city one which doesn't make sense we've never seen any sort of mayor or elected officials for mega city one well the judges are the bosses yeah, so there shouldn't be a, a some sort of civilian control like the judges are in charge. This is sort of similar to the sci-fi special uh, earlier this this uh, in in 1978 where there was a presidential candidate and like what there's no presidents in Mega City One. These guys don't know what's going on. But so for the purposes of this story, there's a mayor of Mega City One, Mayor Amalfi. He's very popular, except with two people. One, this organ legger named Ryan, who's got green hair and a pink shirt, and is basically Doc Savage from the Incredible Hulk comics, um, mm. who has been in jail and now escapes to uh, take him down. To, and he's take... kind of a, a fish man, maybe? Mm, kind of. I think that's just because he's escaping from, like, 
an under in a, a water based um gel basically. I gotcha. I don't think he's actually a fish guy. I the, got you. The other guy who hates the mayor is uh, Judge Dredd because he is like a jerk. He, or yeah. the mayor the mayor is a jerk and Judge Dredd calls it on him and everybody else is like, ah, you just got to make do because he's our political superior, so you got to bow down to him, which doesn't sound like the Judge Dredd I know. Anyhow, wow. so with this Ryan guy escaped, uh, the mayor needs protection. Obviously, Judge Dredd's the perfect guy to, to, uh, to uh, provide it. He goes and meets the mayor on the on the mayor's uh, rooftop greenhouse. I appreciate the size of this building, like how tall it is. Yeah, it's a giant building with like clouds moving around the middle parts of the building, like it's above the cloud line and stuff, which is mm. pretty cool. Um, and Mayor Malfi's sort of—you can tell—he's super corrupt. Like everybody else, just eats like uh, synth and soy things, and he's got like gross fresh fruit in this like rooftop hideaway, basically. He's a real jerk. Yeah, and he's a real like like. Oh, how can you live without fresh strawberries? Um, uh, bananas. And so, uh, there's a knock on the door. Special delivery. Oh, it's that Ryan guy. He's gonna kill the mayor and stuff. He's got a totally sweet gun. Yeah, he's got a sweet pink gun. He's gonna kill the <laughs> crap out of uh, the mayor. <laughs> Judge Dredd is like, not today, and um. Ryan's like, you can't trust this mayor guy. He's corrupt. And Dredd's like, yeah, I figured as much. I don't like this guy either. But uh, you can't kill him. And ends up shooting Ryan. And Ryan falls out of the big glass windows of the greenhouse, falling off the side of the building to his death. It takes like, he falls. It takes like four panels for him to hit the ground. It's nuts. (laughs) He doesn't even hit the ground, I believe, until the end of the comic. that's true. But so, with Ryan dead out of the picture, basically, Dredd does some investigating around the mayor's uh, apartment. He finds a big lockbox. He shoots the lock off. And inside, he finds... Aw, Jesus, hella human bones in here! What the hell? And it looks like um, Mayor Amalfi has been using those bones as fertilizer for his plants. Somebody's been playing Minecraft. (sighs) Fair enough. <laughs> That's the reference I don't get. Um, oh. So Amalfi tr- Amalfi's like, ah, you you found out my secret, Judge Dredd, but you won't live to tell the story. He shoots him. He's got a uh, he's got a four shot short range anti personnel pistol. He shoots Judge Dredd hella times, but it just pings off Judge Dredd's armor because he's a cool dude. It's, I mean, why would you try to shoot a judge? Bad idea. Well, because like organ legging is like a big offense. He'd go to jail and stuff. You know. You gotta give it a shot. Just but don't so, do that. You know, oh, Whatever. Man, I can't tell these perps not to perp, man. They're gonna do these lo- these these are crimes. <laughs> so the mayor starts to run from dread. He accidentally falls out the big hole in the in the uh, glass wall of his greenhouse and starts to uh to fall. Judge Dredd catches him, but he catches him by the sleeve of the mayor's uh like big bathrobe thing. Mm-hmm. And the sleeve rips off, and the mayor falls to his death. Onto a onto a truck. The yes. that says Krang, and he falls into a truck of synthetic fruit. Meanwhile, the uh, 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 Ryan has fallen into the uh, Mega City Aquarium, and then swims out. If you notice, like he punctures a hole in the side, and he's like swimming out to freedom. I think he goes flying out. I don't know, but oh, maybe that's fair enough. But so. Later, back at Justice HQ, the chief judge is like, 
One thing I can't understand, you say they fell out of the window locked in each other's arms. How come Ryan and how come they landed two minutes apart? And like the joke is Judge Dredd says like, ah, wind resistance. Ah, ah, ah. But like, Has he fabricated reports before? No, that's specifically not something Judge Dredd would do. He wouldn't lie about the law. Like that's the opposite of what Judge Dredd is, like to his very well, core. It, yeah, and he's empowered to make that judgment. Yeah, and like, what, he's gonna he's saving the reputation of this mayor that he hated? Like, it doesn't make any sense. It's completely off-brand. Even if Judge Dredd liked somebody and they died in a dishonorable way, he'd still report, I feel like he'd still report the true facts of their death because Judge Dredd does not mess around with the law like that, you know? That's what I'm talking about. Whoever wrote this, it's a fucking nest of vipers. It's just, it's super, it's, I mean, I just gotta say, it's just off-brand for Judge mm -hmm. Dredd. Like, it starts with him getting yelled at by the Chief Justice... By, by, by the chief judge for uh, for killing lawbreakers. And, like, you know, Judge Ray never gets in trouble for that. He's got to do justice through any way he can, you know? Yeah. So this is a bad Judge Dredd outing. Um, God, I can't agree more. It's just off-brand. It it's not what we want in any way from Judge Dredd, I feel like. Mm -hmm. And, actually, by the way, both Invasion and Judge Dredd show up in this. Both have been voted many times as, like, reader's choice back in, you know, 1978. Yeah, you know, for sure. But I'll tell you what the people do want, Fox. What and that's Thrill 9, Hank, pilot for the future. <laughs> so guess. this is just a, a feature article on a test pilot, uh, Hank Chateau. Is that how I want to pronounce his name? Yeah, I don't know. He uh, fought and, you know, flew planes in World War II. Now he's a test pilot. Let's see if maybe he can handle the uh, F-18 Cobra, the new file, the, the new uh, dog, ultimate dog fighting plane from, no from Northrop, you know? Yeah, G.I. Joe would be very upset. You don't name a plane Cobra. Basically, this is just a big commercial for the military-industrial complex. That's what I'm talking about. Shut her down. <laughs> Anyhow. Thrill 10, recruiting agency. Uh, the actual, um, uh, oh god, why am I forgetting the name of that thing now? Future Shock. For this yeah, this is, this is a full-on Future Shock. Um, it's a young, young dude down on his, down on his luck, you know, the, the Yorkshire town of Binfley. <laughs> He's just lost his job. Um, he just, he's trying to find a new life. He sees a poster for, like, a new place, like, under 25, unmarried, looking for a new adventure and a new future. Come live and work in Tumwama, which... Weird. He investigates the, uh, the, the listing, and it seems like there's this um, island in the South Pacific. It's mm -hmm. desperate for young people from technological fields and engineering... Uh, why don't you fill out these application forms, buddy, and maybe you might get a spot. Just Hey, a hottie with a body gives me a form to fill out. I'm going to fill it out. Yeah, just, you know, you'll come to Tamwana. We'll fly you out for free. You're guaranteed a job and housing and stuff. It'll be a good time. A, a dude with a cool uh, uh, bowler hat will come pick you up at the airport. <laughs> so the guy gets his... Um, he gets entered into the uh, program. He travels by train and then plane on his way to Tamwana. Along the way, things start to get rough, and it turns out, oh, jeez. <laughs> <laughs> T 
Tamwana is an island in the Pacific Ocean, but not the Pacific Ocean on Earth. They're going to live in space instead. Bam, bam, bam. <laughs> so I, I'm going to tell you right out the gate, like, this is, uh, what, one, two, three, four, five. It's five pages. And, um, like, all of the setup is pretty neat. Uh, he, he, like, yeah, he goes to the agency. He meets this girl at the airport. Um, you know, this this bowler hat guy is like, hey, let's go on this fucking plane, but we're going to refuel. And that turbulence, you know, he's sitting with that same girl. We're, we're keeping with the same characters and what they're mm-hmm. going through. Yeah. And then just as it, like, kind of pans out, it's like they were projecting all of this stuff with some space crap um, it, because the plane is inside of a giant spaceship. Yeah, it's cool. It's yeah. I I actually thought it was it was pretty unique. Uh, I didn't know what to expect. I actually, when I saw the recruiting agency um, nameplate, I was like, "Eh, this is gonna be something stupid." And I was pleasantly surprised. Yeah, and I think it's a little more. It's 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 one of the more hopeful future shocks. Of, Absolutely. Hey, they're going to a new planet to call and not to like you know whatever fix this planet or something, as opposed to be being like, oh yeah, no, you're going to be eaten by this monster, you know? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like he, they even make mention where it's like, hey, you know, once they land and we'll get them all situated, but like their race, these, this race of people is dying out and they're very similar to humans. Yeah. And uh, they're like, we're going to tell them after a year and if they want to go back, we'll send them back. But we're fairly certain most of them will want to stay because it's this opportunity, you know? Yeah. So that was pretty yeah. cool. I don't know. Uh, too. And it also starts uh, our, our, like, I guess, like, Hank was sort of our foray into the plane section of this fucking... <laughs> yeah. Thrill 11. Futuristic stuff. <laughs> <laughs> so just sort of a bunch of general purpose futuristic um, articles... There's one on on a planes, both a vertical takeoff landing planes and like just big old planes with like 12, en- 12 engines and going supersonic speeds and stuff. You know, I, if the Spruce Goose couldn't fly, I don't think this massive 12 engine problem could do it. The 12 engine plane's pretty cool because yeah. it's a big wing and then it's got two plane bodies like sort of like it's a big wing with 12 engines on it and then sort of if the two-thirds points of each wing are like or at the third point of each wing is the body of two different planes and they meet at a, for a big back wing like that thing's gonna break apart <laughs> right away and, and it's it does look awesome it's it's just like hey meld these two planes together look it's two planes but it's one plane yeah i wonder if you could move in between them like through the wing or something that'd be pretty neat maybe oh, just I- Wow, that'd be neat. Maybe just through a Jefferson tube or something like that, Star Trek style. Oh, oh man. Hell yeah. But then the uh, the next article is like, hey, what if we had wireless phones in our wristwatches? Hey, um, like calling Apple watches, you know? It's definitely, though, this is the one piece of technology that we actually have today, which I think is kind mm-hmm. of funny. But yeah, it's basically just, uh, here's a 40 years early commercial for the Apple Watch. Good times. <laughs> well... I guess uh, I guess something that they've pitched has got to survive. Oh, buddy. Speak. <laughs> <laughs> Thrill 12 Survivor. <laughs> yeah. This one's weird. Yeah, man. Rising up back to the street. Um, oh. So, look. Here's the deal, Fox. Mm-hmm. One day the Earth is, or the, uh, the sun's going to expand 
go Nova and destroy the solar system and everything on Earth, everything with them. Too correct. You know but what happens? Like, like what would the government or or the people of Earth do if if they knew that that impending doom was happening? Yo, that's what I'm getting to. So there was this dude. <laughs> they um, uh, he's he's hired by the government and they bring him up to peak physical condition and stuff. And mm. once they do, they begin the actual work on him. They're going to implant the entire memory and knowledge of the human race inside his brain. That sounds really intense, but what was what's the whole purpose of well, putting once, all that brain in there? Once they do that, they're going to cryogenically freeze him and shield his cryotube in such a way that it'll survive the destruction of Earth. Well, that's pretty handy, but why would they want to put a man in a capsule in space? Well, basically, he's going to be like the last surviving thing of, of uh, humanity. So once um, he gets picked up eventually, maybe by aliens or something, or the capsule lands someplace, whatever. Like, once he like once maybe he, with sick beards? Yeah, but once he wakes back up, then he's going to use the knowledge of the entirety of human race and everything with it to get the human race started again. Well, how's he going to do that? Does he have I, some kind of magical power? I don't know, but he oh, can he, oh. he can transfer all of that knowledge, any amount of it, any amount of it, of it he wants instantly by touching another living being. Wow, that's pretty nifty, and and glad they had the foresight, I guess. Yeah. So, uh, this guy gets cryo frozen with the uh, some of the human race implanted into him somehow <laughs> it's evolves it evolves using tapes and seems pretty complicated yeah. like like they got like his brain opened up and there's like some um, steam like from a soldering iron coming out of it but whatever uh, he, uh, great. yeah he gets uh but the cryo tube gets found by a bunch of like kind of cro-magnon looking alien guys they got big foreheads and beards and stuff Oh, I, I respect the world building they did here by by the captain of that like alien vessel. Everyone refers to him as O vessel commander. Yeah, no, they do some good alien stuff with him, mm-hmm. but they're basically like, all right, this guy's whole solar system and people have been completely destroyed, and he's like shouting that humanity has been saved and he's the last survivor and stuff. And frankly, it's freaking us out. So. <laughs> Let's I mean, space. He's probably like snapped. Yeah, this guy's weird. So let's just space him. Yep. So they space him, <laughs> and as this survivor guy's body um, instantly dies in the vacuum of space, the alien who tossed him out the airlock thinks like, and so the last human being dies, or at least his body does. You shouldn't have touched me, alien, because now my mind has taken over yours with enough memories to restart the human race, and I shall start with the crew of this ship. What the hell? I don't know what he means by restarting the human race. Yeah, it's it's a little weird. He's got the knowledge of humanity. Well, don't worry, it's not the end. It may how, be just the beginning. How is he going to turn these beard dudes into humans? Um, are they just going to are they just going to pretend to be humans? Yeah, yeah, you know, it's like a big play. It's not like there was I technology guess. that the humans had. They just had, um, like, it seemed like basically twentieth century. Are they just going to put on a bunch of like, uh, like, a, become a, a a repertory company and do Shakespeare plays or something? Oh, that'd be neat. 
That'd be like you know, it's probably something that their their planet hasn't seen before, Shakespeare. Yeah. Anyhow, <laughs> this is so much more interesting than uh, the shape Any- of things to come. Anyhow, uh, the humans, li- yeah, humanity will live on. Bam, bam, bam. <laughs> <laughs> Proper use. Proper which, use. Which takes us to Thrill 13 Spaceships. Uh, I like the bottom one. It's cool, but that's about it. This is just a, a one-page article with a couple sort of proposed spaceship designs. They're basically just kind of matte paintings or concept arts of co- possible spaceship things. Uh, yeah, one's a, one's a big jumbo jet liner, which is kind of cool. Yeah, um, I'd love to see that as an actual ship, but everything else is like, okay, whatever. Yeah, whatever these uh, future ships, man. They are boring. Uh, yep. But hey, speaking of futuristic spaceships, uh, uh, Thrill 14, Dan Dare. Again. <laughs> but this is the bridge episode of Dan Dare. It is. This is the one that links... Like classic, like old school Dan Dare, which I'm not very familiar with, with nope. uh, 2000 AD Dan Dare. Yep. So he wears he wears cool uh, military outfit for a time. Right. So basically, we start like in the past where old man Dan Dare is the controller of the mighty space fleet, and everything's going sort of lazy. But then he gets a call from the Mekon, and yep. The Mekons threatening Earth. He demands full control of humanity or he'll destroy half the uh, planet. Yep, and then uh, they gotta do a thing, I guess. Yeah, so Dan so Dan and his um, Batman uh, Digby suit up. Which is what? Like, what did, did, like, Batman like Batman or Batman like... No, like his butler. Uh... Or like second-in-command guy. It's sort of a British, a British thing. Um, I get that. Clearly. Yeah, don't worry about it. (laughs) (laughs) But so uh, the two of them, they fly up and they're going to take Mekon out. But it turns out that it's actually a trap and they're caught. The the Mekon shows the power of his awesome death ray by destroying the city of New Birmingham. Which whatever. Oh no. (laughs) Um, Yeah, whatever. uh, Protected by the, or uh, trapped by the guards. Dan Dare does the old pretend to be sick deal and gets free. He confronts yeah. Mekon, and Mekon knocks out Digby, and makes Dare goes nuts. Well, he almost kills him. Like, yeah. it's assumed he's dead. Yeah, so Dare goes nuts. He attacks Mekon, and basically, like, takes him down. But his grave By inj- doing what you do every time to the Mekon, knock him off his dumb little floaty platform, and you yeah. win. It's funny that that's not the first thing people try. But, um... Yeah. But Mekon blasts the crap out of, Dan, out of Dan, and he, like, falls down and is dying. Digby comes to and sort of grabs Dan Dare's near corpse and puts it back in the ship, and the two of them escape as the Mekon space station explodes. Once they land, basically, the government is like, ah, he's so far gone, we might as well just say he's dead, and they have a state funeral for Dan. Yeah. Meanwhile, his cryogenically frozen corpse, still in its space sh- in its spacesuit, is put in a uh, is put in a cryo tube like the last story, and it's basically just like uh, yeah, let's just keep him frozen until we find the cure for um, your body being completely uh, b- uh, burned over ninety percent of your body. 
Spoilers, they do. Spoilers, he leads a G.I. Joe-esque mission to a bunch of lost planets. Spoilers, it's a better series. <laughs> yeah, well, they finally have that cure, and they want to, uh, in the year 2176, they want to uh, have a new uh, a hero back for their space programs. They bring Dan out of cryo-freeze. Um... They take, they fix him up. They take his space helmet off, and we see that he's got his new Dandare face, which is different from his previous Dandare face. Yep. So you know, look to the stars. Dandare's back. Good times. Yeah, it's uh, <clears throat> didn't overstay its welcome. That's at least the nicest part. <laughs> I mean, from my aspect, because oh, the yeah. rest. Uh, can I just mention before we jump into this how disappointed I am with the end of this uh, annual? <laughs> Thrill 16, one last info dump. (laughs) (laughs) It really is a dump. So there's a one-page article that's like a real close encounter. That's just kind of like random UFO stuff. Mm -hmm. Uh, Then finally, there's a uh, bus tour and sort of a a photographic tour of uh, Cape Kennedy. Yay. Including the tour bus of Cape Kennedy and then a bunch of like sort of rocket like old rockets and stuff that they have sort of on display. The we have the, uh, liftoff the section was cool. Yeah. Like the the color pictures of the actual like spaceship launches. It's it's funny, um not to go too off topic, but because so I, I grew up for a time in Santa Barbara and there's a nearby sort of like uh, like airbase there mm-hmm. where they do some tests of missile launches and like I hadn't really seen one before like obviously we weren't particularly up close because I don't think it was Vandenberg which is nearer to LA it was a, it's a different little base but um, they would do satellite test launches and stuff from there so I'd actually while I was living there I'd seen three liftoffs mm. and like these these pictures that they show of like these giant balls of fucking light like shooting up into the air mm-hmm. it is uh it's not unrealistic of like what it actually looks like even from the distance that you know me and my family were at which was you know in a town f- much farther away ah. and it's this just ascending slow mass of just energy and it is really like it's really intense to see it's it's a beautiful thing in my mind so. Nice. Yeah, I like I like um, spaceship launches and stuff like that. So, for sure, and that takes us to the final part of the comic where we see just a space shuttle coming in for landing, no room for error, and then a really Double weird, th- and then a really weird thing of just three identical pictures of Dan Dare, sort of wishing us well and reminding us to pick up new progs of 2000 AD weekly didn't even bother to like because it's obviously a picture of his head they've used in other things they just didn't even bother to look for other shots of his head doing anything else nope (laughs) like this conrad like this this very last page it's at the back of the book it's the paper that covers the hardcover Mm -hmm. is is like to me um it encapsulates everything about these annuals everything (laughs) like it's just whatever throw this shit together like we're gonna make a lot of money back because it's like so these things have been historically like what 10 pence something like that i think they're like 30 the progs are the progs are are currently nine cents are currently nine pence 
in this one, I believe. Um, let me take a look here. It's a, a pound it's like thirty-five. A pound. Yeah, it's a pound yeah. thirty-five. So it's like they are getting so much more than they usually do. Like, yeah, it's a big book and whatever. And it's hardcover hard too. Cover. Yeah, whatever. Look, I can I can buy like more resilient cardboard and stuff like that too. It's not the most expensive thing in the world. They're not making this shit at or selling it at cost. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So this thing is like, I just feel like the annuals are such a ripoff. Um, and and I get that that you know they're they're probably around for a reason and they probably sell really well and and you know industry standards and all of that, but. If you if you've got nothing to show, but you're saying something special, um, people aren't stupid. It's not special. There's nothing special about something that is in general garbage. And maybe I'm you know I'm I'm not a kid in 1979. <laughs> maybe this was the shit. Because like they are cool pictures, and there's a lot of in color stuff. And normally it's like magazines or again encyclopedias and stuff like that. This is like a comic book with with cool sci-fi stuff. Yeah, and but this... you know what I wish was inside of this? Like promos for Star Trek, promos hmm. for the upcoming Star Wars, right? Like that's some sci-fi stuff. This is not science fiction. This is like some science, mostly made-up fiction. <laughs> yeah, but I think I I don't know. I remember being a kid and getting like picture books about space stuff and being really into it. You know, like all of the picture books that I had of that kind had no words. <sighs> No, I, I I had stuff along. I've had stuff along these lines. Like I can see it. Um, I don't know whether it's a good deal or not. I don't know how popular these are. They seem to keep doing them. But yeah, yeah. From as a as a grown up in 2017, these are not that great. <laughs> and you know that's the mean? thing. It's not even like not that great from the standpoint of like content, right? Like I think if this had some some like little cool snippets. Like, even the Flying Cities, right? It's about a paragraph or, or two to three sentences. <clears throat> that one was probably my favorite, only in that it's like, hey, this is a, a two-page spread. We're not overstaying our welcome. Here's a cool picture, mm-hmm. right? Um, they could have put anything in this. It just starts to feel a little fillery when they start going to, like, airplanes. Yeah, fair enough. I understand. You know, I, you know. I don't know. I, it, and it is an, it's more of an opinion than than a fact. Clearly, I'd I'd say that you know everybody's got one, but um, I I don't know. No, I mean There's you just know so much soft brand here. Yeah, no, I don't like. I don't think this is a- annual super great myself either. Um, it's got its moments, but there are some stories that are kind of off brand, and I definitely like the progs way more than these annuals. You know, but eh. that's. It, and if you're listening along and reading, like this is the thing, um, you're not getting anything out of the this annual other than the linkage story, which I think is interesting, and um, a decent Dan Dare story at the front. Yeah, um, I mean, but I'm most like, eh. yeah, I'm mostly interested just to read them because of the first time through that I read 2000 AD, you know, I've read about the first thousand progs or so, um, yeah. and and sort of. The, the magazine up to that point too I didn't have these ones so it's interesting for me to sort of read them and see the side stuff and stuff I think you know this is one where I, I definitely believe that they'll get better as there's more sort of stories that they cover and they kind of get away from this tech stuff but you know we'll just keep it in mind I think it's an interesting thing I think it's um, I think it's worth looking at them just as a sort of 
a side thing from the progs and a chance to see something oh, that's maybe not as good just to kind of make us appreciate when the progs are good you know palate cleansing right like Ex- exactly I, I definitely it's not as though uh, i there are things that i have loathed about 2000 ad that they've done yeah i don't loathe this i'm just it's something that you know if this was one pound 30 pence and i you know, had to decide between this and buying a, a couple of Wonka bars at the local confectionery, um, I'd be getting the Wonka bars every time. All you right. know, there's a golden ticket in that bad boy. <laughs> so all that said, Fox, what's your top thrill this um, for the uh, Dan Dare annual 1979? So uh, this is the thing. It uh, this is these are the things that I'll mention. Uh, so Dandare out the gate was like a decent Dandare story, mm-hmm. um, but um, and this is a more of an honorable mention. Rick Random, I agree with. Uh, like we kind of had a discussion about this today, but I don't believe that Time Travelers is a great story by comparison to the first time we've seen Rick Random, mm-hmm. uh, because you know we got a lot more space stuff. There was a cute girl with horns. He got horns grafted on. And yeah, it yeah. SOS deep. from space is the is the best Rick, Rick Random story from what I understand. Yeah, and and like this, if they cut out some of the fat, or or at least had some of it uh, in some way pay off. Although I think there's too many strings to really do that. It would be very close to what I consider Star Trek and would have been good. Mm-hmm. But instead, my man, I'm going to tell you right out the gate, uh, it's not UFO Agent, although points for fucking creativity on that one, guys. <laughs> I really liked that one. It mm-hmm. is, uh, it's actually the recruiting agency. Ah. I love the way that it starts because it's immediately like dark, it's raining, he's having a shitty day. We've all been there where we're just like, fuck life. And um, this really optimistic thing happens, and there's a cute girl, he decides to sign up, he goes to the thing, he meets another cute girl, this cute girl hangs out with him, and instead of this, like, story that would have had a twist that, you're right, like, the anticipation I had for this was, ah, it's just gonna be a big monster gulping up stuff. No, it's like, we are dying, we don't want our planet to die, so we're gonna put these people on it who will kind of steward it and if they want to go back, we're not going to be total dicks about it. And I'm like, wow, that's sure really optimistic. And, yeah. and I think that um, it, it's in the spirit of what this annual is setting out to do, you know? And and I think that, that that's awesome. It's not the best writing. It's just, it was a nice twist. For sure. All right, what's your bottom thrill this, uh, this annual? Oh, uh... <sighs> Do you want to take a rain check while I think about this and, and you okay. talk about yeah. the top three? So, so, so my top thrill was the Dandare, was the first Dandare story. It had mustaches. It had dog fights. That's what I'm looking for. It had uh, beat up space jet skis, all that stuff. <laughs> it, was, it was really fun. Yeah. Uh, my bottom thrill is the Judge Dredd story. It's way off brand. It's got a bunch of stuff that... Um, I don't feel like the character of Judge Dredd that I'm familiar with would ever do falsifying reports, um, other things like that. So anti-ethical, so antithetical to the concept of Judge Dredd, of this guy who's bound by the law. He is the law, and he would never break it, you know, as sort of a yeah. essential part of his character. The idea of him that he'd tell a lie in his report about how that mayor guy died doesn't make sense isn't true to the character in any way and makes me angry as a judge dread fan 
you would think that they would screen it a little bit. This is someone's baby. Like, Judge Dredd is very clearly someone's baby, you know? Yeah, I mean, you know, yeah, it's just, like, it's not a good story. It, like, it's a fine story, but um, it does, it's not the Judge Dredd I'm familiar with, and that sort of makes me unhappy, I guess. Yeah. 2000 AD always struck me as, like, a guy who had this, or, or some people who had this really good idea, Judge Dredd, and we're like, we really like sci-fi. We'd like to kind of pitch this sci-fi thing. Like, here's some example comics of this stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and and sort of as a show of good faith for the rest of the writing crew and, and people that they brought on, you know, Judge Dredd was always towards the back. And all of this other stuff was more, it was given a more prominent place in the start of the comic, right? And, and Judge yeah. Dredd was finding its footing and stuff like that, but... Um, as time went on, people voted on kind of what they wanted to see. An invasion almost always started things off, unless yeah. there was a special cover. Like Judge Dredd is a sacred artifact that has that is still going on to this day in a comic that has cut off nearly all of the limbs of its original run. In fact, I want to say everything except Dandere, and even that took a hiatus. What do you mean by cut off all the limbs? Oh, sorry. Let me let me explain then. So we had Invasion at the start. We had Flesh at the start. We had Harlem Heroes at the start. We had Dan Dare at the start, right? Um, and then we had Judge Shred, from what I remember. Oh, I, okay. So that they that that they have moved on to other thrills, um, to other yeah. stories from there. Yeah. Okay. I know what you mean. Well, so, um, so when you started this comic off, Judge Dredd was there. Everything else is now gone. I mean, he didn't come there until the second Prague. But I mean, yeah, oh, I don't. Right, right. I don't know what this like. I don't know what the order in the magazine means. I guess like yeah, what enough. it means to be the last one, what it means to be the first one, what it means to be like. It seems like it's good to be in the middle, be, or like the 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 big comic oh, yeah, is, is in the color. middle because you get that color page. Um, mm-hmm. And it seems like sometimes you get a color page if you're in the back, so that seems like advantageous as well. Um, it's kind of I hard. Suppose, to, oh, like please, that's that 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 that's something I'd actually like to ask someone who was like working at yeah. 2080 at the time. Like what it means. I'd love to know when something's first, when something's second, etc. Um, in terms of like I, that I su- that that thing's popularity and stuff like that. I suppose what I mean is more of that. Like, so the look of Judge Dredd was strikingly different from yeah. all I of mean, the rest of it. Yeah, the the story is still going. I would I would assume that like they'd be a little bit more protective I suppose and maybe it it just ha- wasn't all that big it was just popular I'm yeah, not I mean, sure yeah I mean you know it's easy to get I I I'd avoid again against getting too heady about um Oh sure people well, being I'm going to buy some of the books that you've yeah. shot me cuz like those seem bizarrely yeah. interesting but but just of of i'd warn against thinking too much about things being um sacred or having sort of deep meetings and stuff in many cases all these decisions are made by people in suits with the bottom line in mind you know don't get too sure. crazy I, yeah, yeah but so so with all of that said fox what is your bottom thrill this month this uh, annual the only question i have for you in this regard Oh, God, let me make sure that I get the exact right name because I, I don't want to be a dingus. Um, is Invisible Death, the Dandere, like, short fucking novel, considered one of the things that we can yes. get at the bottom? Okay. Um, then this becomes substantially harder because I really want to put Invasion as bottom thrill. That's fine. Uh, 
but I really feel that a Dan Dare annual that is about Dan Dare and has three or four stories about Dan Dare and has Dan Dare narrating like a lot of it, like Tharg takes a backseat. I think he's only, he only shows up like maybe once, maybe twice. Um, you would think some attention to detail to Not, like yeah, yeah. who these characters are like, um, like Hitman you know, that, that really made me upset because I spent the time to read the entire thing and it's like, he can't put a gun in a holster. He can't, yeah. like, there are certain things that weren't supposed to happen. In the same vein, Invasion just felt like a shell. It's like it had the face of Bill Savage, it had the shotgun of Bill Savage, um, but none of the personality. For sure. So, so what, you want to have two bottom thrills? That's fine. Kind of, yeah. It's just like avoid these two. Because okay. it's going to ruin your appetite. Yeah, I think it's the big message is that the things we didn't like in this um, annual were things that strayed from sort of what, you know, from the model of what we expect these yeah. characters to do. Judge Red for me, then the Dan Dare prose story and invasion for Fox. I think that's fair. <laughs> I mean, like, um, I, if, if really split yeah. nairs and, like... The prose story, whatever. Like invasion was bad. Yeah, I don't. I don't mind you having two, buddy. We've been. We're going super long this episode. Yeah. (laughs) So, but I hope everybody enjoyed the show. You can find Space Spinner Two Thousand on iTunes, Stitcher, the Google Play Store, or on our podcast site at Cradleline.com. Feel free to contact us at spacespinner2000 at gmail.com or on our Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter pages. On Twitter, we're Space Spinner Two K. For everything else, just look up Space Spinner 2000 and we should be there. Tune in next week as the Robo Hunters find the apartment of the future full of robots. <laughs> uh, the ants attack Argentina. Judge Dredd brings law to Las Vegas. And Dan Dare comes into contact with the Doomsday Machine. Oh, yeah, it's going to be awesome. Until next week, I'm Conrad, he's Fox, and we are Space Spinner 2000. Splendug for three. three. Oh, no.